0: This is episode 78 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew.
1: I'm your host, Eli. Welcome back to the show. This is the summer for Circassia. Circassia? It's Kabardian. Yeah. It's like Kabardian heat wave. <laughs> <we've>, <laughs> we, had, we had the interview with Suhaim Beck. And we had the interview with David and we're just rolling with it because I'm telling you, you hit and it's like tap, tap, gush, you know, you hit a node yes. and then you're on the radar. So we're just rolling with it.
0: Yeah. Pretty awesome. Um, got another great guest in the studio today. Um, really studio. excited um, for him to share a story um, with you, with you listeners. Um, before we do that, man, Eli, this, what I'm about to share, this made me belly ache. More than maybe anything this summer, harder from, than anything. From
1: laughter, you don't, you don't mean the the, chill, the homemade chili dogs.
0: <laughs> That's right. Okay. It was so funny. Okay, so, uh, of course, everyone in the world, we've kind of been in this quarantine thing together, sheltered at home. And about halfway through our uh, time quarantine here in Russia, uh, one of my acquaintances posted this on Facebook, and when I saw it, I just loved it. So. Um apparently in Australia there is a fake Russian choir.
1: Oh my gosh. And
0: well, uh let me let me just read to you the words of the uh the What part
1: of it is fake? Is it that the choir they're not really singing or is it that they're not really Russian?
0: It's Australian men who don't know the Russian language oh, but are singing Russian songs.
1: They're just faking it.
0: Yes. So oh I want to read gosh. you what what the kind of lead of the choir says about them. We're going to link this in the show notes, listeners, because the article is hilarious. There's multiple videos. But he, he speaks with this amazing Russian accent. He says... Uh, they're, so they're called Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky. <laughs> Dostoevsky is the leading genuine fake Russian choir in Southern Hemisphere. We are 28 men, middle-aged, very hairy, and all live outside the tiny little hamlet of Malembimbi, or as we call it, Malamgrad. And all of us singing like we know the language and the words. <laughs>
1: Wow.
0: So he's put together this group of middle-aged men, uh, and none of them or have any sing, 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 singing background, <laughs> but basically they went totally viral within Australia, and then they've become real famous in Russia. One of the top uh, Russian news channels plays their song at the end of every broadcast now.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. As and a joke were,
1: or because it just sounds no, like for, good for patriotic real. music?
0: They actually were invited by the Kremlin Oh, to this is be weird. a part of the May 9th uh, festivities. And obviously they couldn't because of COVID.
1: Wait, that's so weird though. Like if they're right. faking it.
0: But they're like that good apparently. it Like <laughs> r- Russians have loved <laughs> it. It
1: brings tears to the eyes of the Russian he, listener. He
0: they he literally said we know which ones are Russians in the audience when we sing because they're the ones crying and singing along oh, with us. Oh my gosh. So they sing like traditional historic Russian folk songs, kind of. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, he, man, he had a lot of great one-liners in this uh, article. One thing he said was, we are choir born for pandemics, most infectious choir on the planet right now.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know how uh, President Putin will, uh, sometimes there'll be like a yearly calendar of him and oh he'll like have,
1: yes! He'll like it's have a shirt. O-
0: he'll have a shirt off with like a hunting rifle or something, or That's petting right. a bear. Or- yes, they had so- a picture of him in this article, and the the choir leader Mark said, "We invite President Putin to come to Molingrad to hang out in the river together. We take <laughs> off our shirts and cover ourselves in macadamia butter, and we see what happens." <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyways, props to Dostoevsky bringing a smile to everyone's face during, I, during I don't, COVID. I
1: don't know that it totally conveys, but I'm definitely going to go watch it. Let's put it there. Oh, way.
0: man, you'll love it. As a music guy, you'll love it. Yeah. All right. We'll have that in the show notes, listeners. Um, let's get to our interview today. Now um, for something
1: completely different.
0: Yes, and a lot more meaningful. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, welcoming from Turkey. But now in the U.S., uh, Imre Bashok.
2: Woo! Welcome, Imre. Hi. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh man, Imre, it's great to have you here, uh, listeners. Just so you know, we got an email from Imre about a month ago, and you know, sometimes we go long uh, periods of time without hearing from a new listener. Sad. And this email. Lonely. This. E- uh, it's it's true. I'll be honest, but this email you sent, Imre, like. <gasps> as my mother would say, it blessed my heart. Um, <laughs> great. very Southern phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, man, it really like encouraged me that like the content of this podcast is meaningful to people, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I, thanks for reaching out to us. It's really great to have you. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, uh, kind of your current stage of life, where you're living, what you're doing?
2: Sure. Um, Again, thanks for having me on the show. My name is uh, Emre and I'm a Circassian Kabardian born and raised in uh, Turkey until I was 25. Um, I was born in a very small Kabardian village in Kayseri. There were only 80 houses, right? Very Mm -hmm. small um, village uh, to both Kabardian parents. I didn't speak any Turkish until I was seven years old. Wow. Since the village was 100% a Circassian uh, village, everybody spoke uh, Circassian. Um, then we moved to the city when I had to start elementary school, um, since there was no school in the village. So I had to learn Turkish mm. as my um, second language. Huh. And in Turkey, I completed all my schooling, including college. Um, and in 2015, uh, I, I studied English language and literature in college, and after graduating, I Worked as a translator, interpreter, and also as an English instructor for a little bit, for like three years after graduating from college.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and in 2015, I moved to San Antonio, Texas to get my master's uh, in teaching English um, as a second language. My plan was to go back home uh, to Istanbul and get my PhD there. But I met my wife in grad school, so we got married and we decided to uh, stay here in the U.S., um and Well wow, congratulations. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. When did you meet and when did you get married? Um we met in twenty fifteen and got married in sixteen. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Went for it. And, and was she you also have to, you have to tell where is she from? Uh Yakima, Washington.
1: <laughs> Yakima, Washington. That is amazing because my wife is also from Yakima, Washington. Yeah, what a small but world. But they don't know each other. I tried. I checked. She doesn't. She didn't know the name, unfortunately. But, man, okay, that is a small world.
0: I'll add this in, uh, Emre. I just found out my uh, wife's um, grandma is from Yakima. There wow. you go. See? <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- on her father's side. So anyways, yeah, cool. what a place.
1: Wife's grandma. <laughs> was your wife also studying English teaching?
2: Yeah, we were in the same uh, program. She was uh, she was teaching in South Korea before uh, uh, Texas. Uh, her family lived in Texas, but she was teaching in South Korea. And we both moved to San Antonio at the same time. So we were both new in San Antonio. So okay, um, it worked out pretty good. And after that, I... I started my uh, PhD at Ohio State. I live in Columbus, Ohio now. So, yeah. The Ohio State University. The Ohio State. Um, Yeah, I'm getting my PhD now. I actually completed my coursework the first two years now uh, in foreign and second language uh, education. Wow. And yeah, I also work here as an academic writing instructor. That's pretty much it. That is fantastic.
1: Really cool. Congratulations, by the way, PhD is no small thing. What's, uh, do you
2: know what you're going to do your dissertation on? Um, I'm. I'm probably going to write my dissertation on bilingualism. There is this seal of biliteracy in the States. It's uh, pretty hot now. Like they put the seal on uh, high school graduates' diploma uh, to kind of document that they're bilinguals. But there are some issues huh. like equity, and uh, you know, there are several issues with that. And Ohio just started two years ago. I plan to look at Ohio's seal of biliteracy program uh, in my dissertation.
1: And if people are more than bilingual, do they get the same sticker? Do they get a multilingual or do they get several bilingual stickers? <laughs> well,
2: the program is just seal of uh, biliteracy. But the thing is, depending on oh. the language that you speak, uh, there, there, there might not be a test available. So even though sure. you're multilingual, you might not be able to get that seal uh, on your but diploma. So there are some issues no, around that's a thing.
1: It's like when um, we first, my, my wife and I were first married, she hadn't quite finished college, and the thing that she hadn't done yet was her foreign language, but we moved to Eastern Europe, and when we got there, the school said, well, she has to finish uh, her foreign language, and we only offer Spanish, so for a minute there, we were like, so you're going to make her study Spanish while we live in Eastern Europe? Like, what if we just studied the local language? And there was a lot of paper shuffling and huffing and puffing. But finally, they were like, well, all right. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. she did that. <laughs> anyway, not about me.
0: But she got the sticker, right? She
1: got the stamp, the sticker, the, the thing. Cool. The degree.
0: Man. So, uh, Emre, uh, it, it's really great having you here. Uh, let's start. Why don't we start with uh, your family? You mentioned... You're uh, Circassian, specifically Kabardian. Yes. uh, Grew up in a uh, tiny Kabardian-only village in Turkey. So which part of
2: Turkey is this? Uh, Kayseri is uh, the mid part of Turkey. It's called mid-Anatolia region. Mm -hmm. Okay. So inland, not at at the sea. No, inland, yes. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. And so uh, Suhain has... uh, uh, she talked about this in uh, in our last episode. David in Israel did as well. But just share a brief overview. How did your family and then
2: really like an entire village of um, Kabardians end up in Turkey? Um, well, Circassians um, were exiled to Ottoman Turkey in eighteen sixty four after the long lasting, you know, uh, Russian-Caucasian uh, war. So yeah. Circassians were placed uh, in cities based on actually the needs of the Ottomans, right? Since Circassians were like Uh warriors. And during that time in 1860s, um, there there was some uh, rebellion against the empire, some internal riots and all that. So they placed Circassians in like these like places where they had some internal um, rebellion going on against the empire, right? So um, my my family... uh, was placed. My ancestors. They were placed in a town called Kayseri. Kayseri has the biggest uh, Circassian uh, population in Turkey, uh, and okay. the city's population is 1.2 million, uh, and 13% of the city is Circassian. Uh, so, huh. oh, okay, yeah, um, it's all Circassian uh, village. Um, Everyone is Circassian, no, Tur- no Turkish people live there. It's a small uh, village, but there is a region in uh, Kayseri called Pınarbaşı uh, Uzunyayla. It's a okay. plateau, right? Uh, and there are 70-plus uh, 70, uh, 70 Circassian villages in that region. So they were placed there, Um Wow. Like 70-plus villages, yeah. So it's the huge a huge area, and these are all Circassians, um, and they were placed there after they first arrived to Ottoman Turkey.
0: 70 villages, wow. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you know, um, I know you've uh, researched this pretty extensively, what was the, uh, you know, more or less agreed on number of Circassians that were exiled to Turkey, and, and then uh, how many – uh, Circassians live in Turkey today.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, there is no, like, certain number since uh, also, like, during Ottoman Empire in Turkey, they don't uh, have, like, census data with, you know, uh, ethnicity yeah. and all that, but there are some numbers, like, uh, th- in 1860s, over 2 million people were exiled from the homeland, uh, the North Caucasus, um, wow. but uh, current numbers, I, um I talked to Dr. Hamid, uh he's a sociologist, and he did a lot of research uh on this okay. um topic. So there are 10 million Circassians living in Turkey, uh, according wow. to his uh research. And um this includes uh, Abkhaz uh people as well, like people from the North Caucasus in like That's more right. general. Uh yeah. but there are um nine hundred nine hundred and fifty villages circassian villages in turkey and these wow. yeah it's all uh, there are a lot of villages um circassian villages and um turkey has 81 uh cities in total and there are circassian villages in 39 of them so almost okay. wow. half
0: so just for perspective for our listeners um Do you, uh, I I think the number of, that they say of at least Kabardians in the North Caucasus right now is about half a million. Um, Do you know the total number of Circassians who are actually living in the North Caucasus right now compared to Turkey? It's probably around a million, maybe less.
2: Well, um, again, uh, according to um, Dr. Hamid's uh, research, he said roughly Two, uh, 2 million people in all uh, Russian like federation Like in the North okay. Caucasus gotcha. and all gotcha. okay. Because yeah. you know in Russia A lot of Circassians live in Moscow Like you know St. Petersburg and all Like that's you know right. uh, that's, right. that's a number That he got so around like 2 million People but Turkey In the you know Circassians live In 56 different countries A huge diaspora and Turkey has wow. um, The biggest Circassian population that is crazy.
0: I mean, that is a huge number. What's the total population of Turkey?
2: 82 million. Wow,
0: it's a big country. Man. Yeah. Yep. So over 10% of Turkey's population today is right. Circassians.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's safe to say that. And do
1: you think that that population, to what extent do you think most of that population is closely connected to their Circassian identity, roots, language, culture, or is a lot of it more? Uh, assimilated?
2: Um, well, yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, it depends on, you know, where they live. So in mm-hmm. Kayseri, for example, as I mentioned, there are like 70 plus uh, Circassian villages in the Uzunyayla region, right? Mm-hmm. So in that part of uh, Turkey, people were able to retain and uh, maintain their uh, language, their culture, identity, and all that. But um, okay. again, since Circassians were placed in like random cities based on Ottoman empires like needs uh, back in the day. So some cities might have only one Circassian village and there might be like multiple uh, ethnicities Uh uh, in that village. Uh So in, uh, in those villages, people um, couldn't like maintain the language and identity as well as like, you know, uh, Circassian village.
1: We always hear that Circassians are like picked up and put down somewhere as warrior people sort of to for the the needs of the ruling you know powers is that like how did Circassians take that is that like a mark of pride was that is a resentment in that maybe you don't know anymore i mean it was a while ago but
2: Like, was that a cool thing or not really? Well, um, that's definitely right. Like, Circassians, wherever they went. So, like, for example, in Jordan, the royal guards are all, like, Circassian, right? In Jordan. In in Turkish military during Ottoman Empire and also after the republic was declared, Circassians were really, um, you know, high ranking in the military as well. When you look at Syria, also, you know, they had military... um, um, personnel in, uh, in in the militaries uh, from Circassian um, origins. So, um, I guess um, since Circassians are known as like like a warrior nation, I guess right. um, yeah, that's kind of represented in all these sure. uh, countries, you know, militaries.
0: Yeah, man, gosh, what a history! This is the first I've always heard about and read a little about um, the exile to Turkey, but this is the first I'm really hearing kind of the details of how it panned out. Um, Can you... So uh, I read an article you wrote, uh, Emre, about um, the linguistic genocide of the Circassian language. And uh, this was uh, really interesting. And specifically, you talked about the early 20th century, uh, what happened in Turkey, uh, where kind of from those events, the Circassians started losing uh, their language. Can you... Um, kind of share with our listeners a little about that those events.
2: Yeah, sure. Um so in that article um that you mentioned uh I looked at linguistic genocides. So I'm I'm interested in sociolinguistics. I'm uh studying language and identity maintenance um as well. So um in Turkey Circassians since 1864 it has been 156 years, right? So the first uh when they were exiled from their homeland to um to Turkey uh, in 1860s, the first generation, they always thought they, they could one day go back, like the very first, uh, generation. Right. Um, so, um, but after, like by the time they, 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 they found out that it's, it's not going to happen. And older people, like my parents, like over 60, uh, 65 years, they were all like raised with stories from the North Caucasus, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, from, uh, Circassia, uh, and all that. So, um, In Turkey, uh, like, Circassians played, like, a, you know, key role in, you know, both Ottoman and Turkish uh, militaries and all that. But my research specifically, uh, I I look at linguistic genocide, right? So um, United Nations defined that linguistic genocide as uh, confining a language to the household only, like banning its use in uh, society, in education, and basically all the other uh, venues, but only home. So, if you speak Circassian yeah. at your home, it's okay. So, in Turkey, uh, the Circassians um, they established mm. like Circassian schools in nineteen, uh, the early nineteen hundreds. Nineteen nineteen was the first Circassian uh, school uh, back in the Ottoman Empire's time, but. That happened after um, s- several years they you know they moved to Turkey mm. after forty years almost um, but the second constitution in uh, the Ottoman uh, Empire. They, it gave kind of a more like democratic uh, – created this democratic uh, atmosphere. So minorities could start their schools and study their language uh. and culture and all that. Um, so there was this freedom, right? Um, so Circassians mm. in Turkey, they opened this uh, Circassian school. It was a bilingual school back in 1919, right? Um, Four years before the Republic, uh, Turkish Republic. Um, So in this school, uh, it was a bilingual in Circassian and also Ottoman Turkish uh, students were all uh, Circassian students. Um, It was a middle school uh, level um, school. And this school uh, is really unique uh, since they started the first mixed gender education in the history of Turkey, right? Uh, Wow. We're talking about Ottoman Empire. And, you know, back then it was all like separated, you know, girls and boys. But this school first started this mixed gender school. uh, And also this uh, school um, used uh, for the first time the Latin alphabets right? Uh, because uh-huh. they were using Ottoman uh, Turkish uh, and also this school started the first kindergarten in the history of education in Turkey. So it's like amazing but unfortunately after four years in 1923 uh, the Republic was declared and this school um, wow. and these people um, also like worked with uh, some people back in the homeland North Caucasus to start some you know, Circassian schools there too. So mm. like tremendous effort but after four years this school was shut down by the government because uh. of this nation-state ideology and all to
1: that. To it under kind of a, an ethnic identity or national identity rather not an ethnic identity yeah.
2: Exactly exactly so basically oh. what Ottoman Empire did to unify, uh, to unify the whole like you know empire was using religion right so religion was the uh, the factor that they used to unify but in the new turkish oh. republic it was uh linguistic unitarianism uh if you will so every like turkish was um the official language and using yeah. any you know language other than turkish was like banned um the school was shut down and it's really uh tragic all the teachers were arrested for uh, teaching Circassian in this school because they saw them as like separatists, right? Um, So uh, these people are just, you know, putting all this effort and, you know, uh, starting this school.
1: You know, I'm just going to interrupt with a reflection real quick because it's, it's backward chronologically and it's very different in many ways. But certainly I think in the U.S., you know, one of the main unifying, I don't remember the term you just used was, but in the New Republic it was language was the unifying force, not religion. And in the U.S., it's not ethnicity or or uh, even cultural background. You know, a lot of our unifying force has been language, the English language. But sort of in a reverse way, that is beginning, there's, I don't know if pluralize is the right word, but even like you said, kind of a bilingual stamp on your, on your diploma, like there's an acknowledgement that um, it's it's not really representative of the population to, to maintain that in a, as absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see how we kind of negotiate back toward a more culturally pluralistic thing. And what, what does unite us? That's totally an aside, but yeah, it just made me think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Wow.
0: Gosh, that, I mean, the story of that school that you told, I mean, that is incredible. It, there should be, like, a book written about it or, like, a movie made about it or something. Nudge,
2: uh, nudge. Uh, uh, yeah. elbow in the side. <laughs> Come on in, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this school was really unique. Also, there was a newspaper. So, like, back to your question, how Circassians, mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of maintain and preserve their uh, language and identity. There was this Circassian newspaper called Roise. And this newspaper was published in Circassian and Ottoman Turkish, again, bilingual newspaper. Uh, and it was sent to Jordan, Syria, like all uh, like close wow. by uh, Circassian countries uh, to inform Circassians about the homeland, the North Caucasus, the political events happening and uh, historic uh, events uh, in their own language. So that served like a really uh, like huge uh, role in maintaining the language and culture but after 59 um volumes that newspaper was unfortunately um banned and you know they 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 collected all the like, you know, volumes and everything. So this, again, a result of this nation state ideology, no tolerance for minorities, like minority languages uh, and all that. And Turkey has a lot of different minority groups, right? Like Kurds being the largest one, like Kurdish people, Turk, Circassians, Armenians, uh, like so many different minorities. But uh that linguistic unitarianism was the 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 um the tool that the new republic had to use to kind of like um like create that nation state um, ideology wow wow so was there a that
0: happened in 1923 was there a point in the last uh almost 100 years where that reversed it all and where Circassian language started kind of having a kind of revival in the country?
2: Uh, yeah. So, um, unfortunately not very um uh, until very recently so uh turkey had you know a lot of uh, military coups in its history and after all these like coups uh the the administration got more and more oppressive and they were not tolerant against these like Circassian associations um in 1980 that, um, mili- after that military coup uh, people were not even allowed to say I am Circassian and I have my own language, and you know Circassian is a different wow. ethnicity. We're not Turks, but the rhetoric, uh, the official rhetoric was Circassians are Caucasus Turks. They made that up and Uh, that was the uh, uh, official rhetoric, right? So they were not seeing Circassians as like a different ethnicity, with different language, identity, like culture and everything. Because Turkish culture and Circassian culture are a lot different, right? Um, So we have – we. we maintained uh, most of our traditions and culture from the North Caucasus. But, you know, all all our traditions, like wedding traditions, like uh, you name it, like it's really, really different than Turkish culture. Uh, but mm-hmm. they labeled circassians as caucuses turks so i remember one of the like prominent uh like Circassian um like folk singers in turkey in one of his interviews he said he went to jail for eight months just for saying publicly that circassians are not caucus turks they have their own language and um yeah it's it's yeah, it's really uh like tragic that it happened. But we're talking about nineteen eighty, eighty-two, right? Uh aftermath of that uh coup. So in recent in recent years, in like uh early two thousands, Turkey started this e, uh, EU negotiations uh for like membership uh-huh. and all. So they required uh EU required Turkey to implement some um some uh, laws, some policies for minorities to teach them their language, uh, maintain their culture and all that. So um, even though it didn't start right away, like these past couple uh, years, maybe like within the past uh, six, seven years, uh, there are two universities in Turkey that, started Circassian language and literature program. So th- these are wow. undergraduate programs. And one is in Kayseri, uh, my hometown, and the other one is in uh, Düzce. Uh, Duzje has a lot of Circassian uh, population as well.
1: Now, uh, uh, wait a minute on that, because for Turkey to, to do those things, as you said, they're EU requirements. And so... They're in some ways they're man- mandated, not voluntary. I mean, they're agreeing to do them, but the attitudes and um, approaches toward Circassians and maybe other ethnic groups in Turkey are going to have been impo- impact, um, enforced, and built into the culture for decades. So they might start. Making official changes, but what is the feeling on the ground? What is the 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 grassroots feeling among people toward um, toward those changes and more space given in the public sphere to Circassians and their identity?
2: Yeah, so um, in Turkey, uh, the the reaction of uh, the the dominant uh, you know culture, like Turks, mm-hmm. towards Circassians mm-hmm. is uh, is not as uh, stigmatized as it's towards Kurds, right? Like Kurdish people sure. are really like stigmatized, oh, wow. and that they're they're the largest minority. And in Turkey, Circassians are really like uh, known for like you know uh, their um, like loyalty to the state. This is actually not true only for uh, Turkey, but also other diaspora countries like Jordan, Syria, like, you know, Israel, uh, all these like, you know, yeah. uh, countries. So Circassians are not as stigmatized. But again, these policies, uh, you know, these negotiations start in like two, early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. But, uh-huh. you know, the first Circassian like, program was opened in 2013. Right. So okay. it took a long time. And um, the faculties actually all from the North Caucasus in these two universities. They're okay. actually from Cabardino, balkaria wow. or wow. uh, Adige Republic because they had to have at least three faculty members to start this program mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with all, you know, with their PhDs and qualifications to sure. start the program. So they... Um, they recruited uh, some Circassian uh, faculty from the North Caucasus and they moved to Turkey uh, and they are uh, working there. They started the program and it's, it's going for the past um, seven, eight years now. Wow. That's fascinating. It's so interesting to hear how, uh, for lack of a
0: better word, politics works with just like Turkey wanting to join the EU and some of these changes being implemented. So, uh, you mentioned this professor at the university, uh, and I know he's like offering these Circassian classes online. Tell us a, b- a bit about him. Is he kind of one of the, the leads of the program there?
2: Oh, yeah. Dr. Uh, Doctor Hamid Yuxel, um, he, yes, so he got his master's uh, in circ- uh, in that university that university started master's program too in Circassian language and literature so he got his degree mm. from there and uh, he got his uh, PhD from Russian language and literature department in one of the universities so he mm. does a lot of uh, research um, he's a sociologist so he does a lot of research uh, pertaining to culture maintenance uh, identity maintenance of um, Circassians and he he um he lives 6 months of his, uh, out of a year in Kayseri Turkey and 6 months in Nalchik right his wife oh, okay. his wife is from there uh and they live 6 months in Turkey 6 months in Nalchik so oh, huh. yeah he started this uh online zoom classes with one other instructor she is actually Circassian from the North Caucasus but married to i think a Circassian um living in Turkey, right? a uh, guy living okay. in Turkey. So he's the uh, other instructor. So they started these language courses on Zoom um, and it's open to any, uh, everyone um, who wants to learn the language. It's all free of charge. And there are over 120 people uh, now and we have wow. nine different proficiency levels. And it's amazing that we have uh, students as young as six years old and 65. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so cool.
0: Man, we need to I need to connect with him next time he's in Nelchik. Then it'd be really cool to meet yeah, him.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Man. Um, so you mentioned uh some of the differences between um Circassian kind of culture and Turkish culture. From your perspective, uh what would you say are some of the major ones? Oh
2: uh, well, um in terms of uh circ- like the difference um the the weddings are different. Like uh, the, um, the the ceremonies are different. Also, like the marriages are really different. You know, Circassians they uh-huh. do not uh, like marry with like with their uh, close like uh, slightly close relatives even. But so that's uh-huh. that's really okay. different um, uh-huh. uh, compared to um, Turkish culture. And also, mm. um, I mean the 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 language is completely different. And since um, in, in my hometown in Kaiser, since we lived like kind of um, surrounded by all other Circassians, we we had our like different, um, you know, traditions, like funerals are like different, you know, there are like mm. s- slight um, like differences maybe in terms of funerals but um the 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 food the cuisine is uh totally different Circassian uh cuisine is different than turkish cuisine um yeah so Mm. definitely a lot of differences sure
0: yeah wow so as as you've been in the states now a couple years um you've (laughs) it's like your second um second time in your life you've endured culture shock. You know, when you were seven, you had to move and go to Turkish school and learn Turkish language. At least you spoke English when you moved to the States. (laughs) Tell us a little about the, uh, Circassian diaspora in New Jersey. I know you said you visited them some and Suhain uh, referenced them, but I keep hearing about Patterson, New Jersey, Yeah, (laughs) the Circassian diaspora. Tell us a little what's going on there.
2: Yeah. So, um, the circassians uh in america the, the history is really fascinating so when i uh, i did an ethnographic study uh on american circassians on language and identity okay. maintenance uh back in 2016 so i did some mm-hmm. research on like the how circassians got here uh, in the first place. So it's really interesting. Uh, So the first wave, so there are three waves of Circassians in America. The first wave came to the States in um, 1923. And these Mm. people had to leave the Caucasus after the Russian revolution of 1917, Mm -hmm. right? The Bolshevik revolution. They had to leave because they were, high ranking officers in the military. So they had to leave the country. So they went to Istanbul uh, and they lived in Istanbul as refugees for two and a half years. And then um, they, they came to the States in 1923 uh, there were 20 people on this uh, boat, uh, on this uh, ship from Istanbul to Ellis Island, New York. And 20 wow. people, including children, they were registered as Circassians by the customs officers there. The first wave, this 20 people, their stories, wow. uh like, you know, amazing. They really like achieved that American dream, right? Coming to a right. country with, you know, like no language, uh, like, you know, very a like, mm. different culture and all that so that's the first wave and the second wave is after the uh second world war um the circassians uh in the um so there th- the draw River uh, in it's a, a border in Aust- Austria and Italy. There were like okay. there were some uh, seven thousand uh, Circassians uh, there. Um, after the World War Two, they were accused of being uh, on the side of like with Germans. Uh, mm-hmm. So they uh, after this uh, treaty that made uh, by the countries, they were going to be um, turned over to Soviet authorities. So some oh some seven thousand uh, Circassians were handed to Soviet authorities um, in uh, after 1945, and they were killed. Wow. So some escaped to mountainous regions in this area, wow. drow uh, region. And the second wave uh, of Circassians in America are... From these people who escaped to the mountains. Um, oh wow. And the first wave, uh, Circassians, uh, they helped them a lot because uh, the first wave, uh, Circassian immigrants in the US, they got really high positions in the State Department. Uh, and huh. they, they were like really, uh, they were like bureaucrats, like uh, State Department officials. So they helped the second wave people. And finally, the third wave, uh, from Syria uh, after Arab-Israel war of 1967. So the mm-hmm. Circassians in Syria, they had to uh, immigrate to the U.S. after the war. Um, and Tolstoy Foundation actually helped them move to New Jersey. So that's how they uh-huh. got to New Jersey um, after the war 1967.
1: So uh, even though it's so much later, do you feel that you have been in any way a beneficiary of the earlier waves of Circassian immigrants? Or is it pretty much disconnected from you?
2: Yeah, I think it's yeah it's the, it's pretty much disconnected the first wave like yeah. the second wave definitely like benefited from the first wave because these sure. people were living wow. uh here for like Gosh. 20 30 years uh they they got jobs they um mm-hmm. they had they some of them had the uh, powerful positions in the state department and other government mm-hmm. um uh agencies so the second wave definitely but um for me um I've been living in the U.S. for the past yeah. five years, so uh, not, not as much. But the Circassians uh, in New Jersey, they're mostly from uh, Syria. Uh, so there are 5,000, uh, around roughly 5,000 people in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And okay. some 5,000 also live in California. Suhan lives in yeah. uh, California. But they, yeah, yeah. they moved to California from New Jersey. So the first place was oh, okay. yeah, New Jersey.
1: Well, it just makes me wonder because, you know, I'm no expert at all on like diaspora and stuff like that. But in general, you know, if you ask yourself, why do some transplanted peoples thrive and others become assimilated or or die away? I mean, there's a million factors, but this idea that there would be a, you know, a first wave that kind of gained this idea of social capital. I mean, the idea of capital is like money, but social capital is all these other things you talked about. You know, they learn the language, they have positions, they have respect relationships, you know, dozens of factors that gave them the ability to help those who came in after them. We worked and I did some ethnographic research among international students in Eastern Europe. And we saw this with different clusters of internationals that, you know, they fly in and not, you know, and a half dozen of them, not thousands, but they literally get off the plane. The university does nothing for them, but the students who came before them say, okay, we need to teach you the ropes. We're going to help you find an yeah. apartment, all that. So you can see it play out in a lot of ways, and you can see that there too, you know, with Circassians coming to the U.S., giving them, I think, an ability to, to get their feet under them and to thrive again um, in a
2: new place. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So they have a really, really nice... Um association called Circassian Benevolent Association in Wayne New Jersey yes. it's beautiful they have uh they they have a Sunday school where they teach language uh to kids um they have dance ensemble there uh, it's amazing um they have wow. the, the the dance instructor is actually from the North Caucasus uh i think he 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 used to dance in kabardinka that dance ensemble uh yes, in the yes. north caucasus oh, wow. so yeah wow. every year they organize adiga day um it's a huge gathering uh like over, like 2 3000 people gather that day i'm like wow. 9 hours from new jersey from columbus ohio i mm. i go there every year um and you know you get her eat a lot of you know Circassian food dance uh it's it's just amazing that they have that 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 little uh you know community there but enclave right yeah yeah
1: how much of i'm totally interrupting andrew i know you have another but like how much of your Circassian culture comes out in your daily life in terms of foods or you know language i mean how much do you get to actually experience day to day
2: um well here in here in america it's uh especially you know where i live i don't know if there is you know, another Circassian living in Columbus, Ohio, right? (laughs) And it was the same deal when I was living in Texas, too. So it's hard when you don't have community. But um, day to day, uh, when I, you know, call my parents, uh, I -hmm. always speak in Circassian with both my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my way of trying to uh, keep uh, my language alive and also i'm taking these classes but other than that uh like you know getting food and all the other stuff it's only possible when i go to new jersey uh yeah. they have a re- really nice cafeteria where they um cook Circassian dishes
1: well, if it's any comfort, I'm sure it's not, but next week on our family vacation, my wife is going to make Hachipuri for our whole family and shashlik. <laughs> oh, nice. Just because we want them to get a taste of North Caucasus. I know that may not be precisely Circassian, but still.
0: Man, guys, Close. we need to we need to coordinate the uh, Circassian Benevolent Association for Adiga <laughs> Day in New Jersey with the Chislik Festival in South oh, Dakota.
2: That would be awesome. That would be
0: an explosion an of explosion. good food yes. and dancing and fun times.
2: Yeah. Oh. yeah.
1: So do you dance Man. with Genka?
2: Yes, I do. Good. Yeah. I, used to, um, I used to dance at this uh, folk group uh, back in Turkey when I was in high school. Uh, we had this Circassian folk um, dance awesome. um, ensemble, so I used to dance there. Um, awesome. Cool. Mm.
0: This is really, really cool. Emre, I really think like you detailing even the waves of circassians, uh, coming to America. I mean, that in itself is a story that needs to be told. Like, it's really incredible. And it just makes me think like how many other, you know, communities of 10,000 people are there in America that have similar stories like that over the last century, you know? Yep. Um, Wow. And it, really the context, I mean, Eli, wasn't Suhan's family a part of that third wave? They were yes. a part of the Tolstoy, the Tolstoy foundation helped That's them get right. to New Jersey. She,
1: she mentioned that exactly. That's exactly right. And then from there, they were only there for a little bit before they relocated to California, but that was a stepping stone.
0: Wow. Really awesome. Um, man, this has been great having you Emre. Um, so sure. what, um, what are kind of your kind of future goals and aspirations with your studies and then um even just thinking about your kind of pride and um yeah just love of the your heritage
2: yeah so um my my program my phd is broadly called applied linguistics so my first my main research interest is uh language english language education assessment and you know bilingualism uh but I took um, sociolinguistics classes, both in master's and, you know, during my PhD, and I'm really I got really into this language and identity maintenance, and uh, UNESCO's um, UNESCO has labeled Circassian, both Kabardian and Adige, eastern and western dialects as endangered languages, as vulnerable languages. And reading that and seeing that was like a um, wake up call uh, almost for me. Like I was like, I need to. you know, do something. So I started using Circassian only with my parents. uh, And I started uh, doing some studies uh, on like heritage Mm -hmm. language uh, maintenance. Uh, Well, Circassians live in like 56 uh, different countries. But um, in Turkey and in the Caucasus, there are a lot of, you know, Nice uh, studies, researchers, uh, they they conduct all these like neat uh, studies, but we don't have much visibility in academia in English. Right. So these like heritage mm-hmm. language journals and uh, language maintenance journals. Uh, Journals, they they don't know about Circassians, right? They when I right. when I introduce myself in my you know uh, classes, like the first you know introduction phase in my uh, both my masters and PhD people uh, were all like you know uh, bilinguals or you know multilingual. so they speak like several yeah. languages. And when I say my first language is Circassian, they all go like, "Oh, what is Circassian?" They they don't <laughs> they don't oh, really sure. know that. So then I start you know this you know brief like history and you know. Uh, explaining that so we're really not not known in terms of you know like academia and also my goal yeah, is to yeah. conduct you know um some academic uh, uh studies on language and identity maintenance uh heritage language maintenance because i mean this language is gonna die if uh, there is no like um like sp- systemic like effort to maintain and revitalize it mm, um, so mm. um yeah um after after um graduation i I, I hope to um move to uh, the Caucasus for for a bit maybe and do some research there too with Circassians living in maybe Cabardino Balkaria or uh Mycope, uh a D Republic. Live there because I haven't been there before and I really want to visit there and I actually want to live there and kinda yeah. uh become a part of that uh you know a community there uh for a short while and do some sort of research there too. So awesome. Man I really Yeah. yeah it really
0: seems like I mean I think, I don't know. I just want to like encourage you to really go after this, you know, like you've done a lot of the grunt work, you've seen the need. And like you said, without a systemic effort, it's hard to know what will happen with the future of the language, you know? So I don't know. It seems like a cool moment on the podcast. Like I think, yeah.
1: What can, what can listeners do who are moved by what you're saying, but have no personal connection or maybe even, you know, Necessarily, skill set to add directly to this. I mean, what can listeners do to help in this, and with in general, you know, with language and identity maintenance when it's endangered?
2: Yeah. So, uh, not only for Circassian, but for you know, other thousands of languages that are endangered. Mm-hmm. So, this um, awareness raising activities uh, are really. Mm-hmm. Um, Critical, right? So there's so many languages that are like dying, um, but people yeah. people don't really like you know hear about them, know about them because they have maybe a couple thousand speakers. Well, in the case of uh, Circassian, there are almost over twenty million Circassian speakers in the world. You know, so it's yeah. larger than yeah. some you know small European countries, right? Sure. So um, uh, for for Circassian, like awareness raising, and also like we need some, you know, also like action by policymakers in the countries where we live, right, in the diaspora in the homeland and the North Caucasus. Um, so, uh, in Turkey, maybe uh, providing language courses at an early age, uh, elementary, middle school age, uh, and also in these other countries, also. Even in the North Caucasus, honestly, in uh, in the North Caucasus, Circassian was uh, the medium of instruction with Russian, uh, obviously. But with uh, within the uh, pa- within past these couple of years, uh, now it's an elective course, just like taking mm. English or French uh, as an elective language course. Circassian students are taking Circassian as an elective course. So that's that really uh. tells you a lot that you know what can be done. And most right. of the time it's, um, it's, it's about politics and, you know, this uh, language, politics, language ideologies of the the states and all that. But uh, there's a lot that needs to be wow. uh, done.
0: Gosh, Very this cool. was great. Emre, uh, thanks so much. Um, yeah. You're more than just an academic, you know, like you clearly have the passion for it. And I think, that's what takes it to the next level. So I'm excited to see kind of what, what comes of your efforts on uh, preserving and yeah, growing, growing the language amongst Circassians. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, Emre, first of all, uh, we have to thank you. You told us uh, early on that you binge listened in the last month every one of our episodes. That is just crazy. Sure I All did. Right.
1: I'm sorry. Okay, hold, just everyone, just pause for a second and and let your hearts well up with admiration and pity for what Emre has had to endure. Because I mean, really, I I can guarantee you, my wife would be like, you know, amazed that you endured you know at least my half of our, of our
2: podcast <laughs> yeah it's it's really funny i i found you guys after suhain's um uh podcast it was, uh, I think, less than a month ago, right? So she, Yes, yeah, less yeah. than a month ago. She shared that podcast on the Facebook group, Circassians in the U.S., and I'm a member of that fa- uh, Facebook group. I didn't know Suhain, uh before that, so she posted it. I listened to it. I was like, wow. So I started <laughs> listening to all the episodes, and um, <laughs> last week, I, uh, me and my wife, we, uh, we went on a road trip to Springfield, Illinois, like six, seven hours drive. On the way there and back, we were both listening uh, to Parker's uh, Talk amazing. podcast. Hopefully, at least on uh. double speed. So um, maybe after
1: the show, <laughs> I'll ask for some feedback. But do you have a favorite episode? I'm not. I'm not uh, hunting for compliments, but I'm just curious. What really tickled your fancy or whatever?
2: Yeah, I mean they were all great, but um, I think. Uh, some of my favorites. I really like the one that you did with uh Tambolet and uh his oh, wife. That was really Zelina. Yeah, Zelina and Tembalet. It was so good. Yeah. Suhans uh was also yeah. great. I really liked She's that just one full too. Of energy. Yeah, yeah, so cool. uh those like uh, interviews with locals episodes that you yep. have, those are just amazing.
1: Yep. Man, well this it's a really big compliment to 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 find for people we don't know to take time in their lives to, yeah. I mean, I know it's not us per se. You know, it's what we're trying to be part of. You know, this thing thing that we discovered, can, you know, that we want to share. So thank you, thank you so much, Emery. And um, yeah, that's a big compliment.
0: Yeah, even though your favorite episodes were ones where Eli and I were not talking most of the time, we <laughs> no, will take that. That's as it should. We we will take that as a big compliment. <laughs> um, it's awesome. It's like I've heard once the riches are in the niches and a Caucasus North (laughs) Caucasus podcast is, is a very, very nichey niche. Yep. All right. um, Imre, let's wrap this up. Final question. Um, What is one thing you would like to tell the world about specifically about the Circassian people from the North Caucasus?
2: Yeah, I would say uh, people from the North Caucasus uh, are committed to and proud of their uh, heritage, right? Uh, in all the like diaspora and you know uh, the homeland, which is uh, why I think it's so important to uh, for Circassians and other minorities in the North Caucasus, not only for Circassians but also for other mm-hmm. minorities in the North yeah. Caucasus uh, and in the diaspora to support these like cultural associations that they have, like uh, that they establish to maintain and revitalize their language and culture. Uh, I think that's, um, that would be one thing that I would uh, encourage people like support these local uh, associations, uh, um, initiatives of Circassians or other North uh, Caucasian uh, minorities, wherever you are. um, Mm -hmm. So that, um, we can maintain this beautiful Circassian language and culture, uh, and uh, transfer it to future generations. Yeah. Very cool. That's Very awesome. cool.
0: Emre, thanks so much. Um, thank you, and apologize to your wife for us for all the podcast <laughs> listen, episodes
2: she had to listen to.
1: Shout out to Yakima.
2: <laughs> no, that's no, right. She thought you guys are really uh, funny, so it's really nice to listen to all the podcasts. And it's it's Great. yeah. It's great. Cool. Well, it was, uh, it was a pleasure, uh, talking to you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate listeners. Please
1: check out our, um, our website caucus talk.com. You can subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if this is motivating to you, if you are excited about the ways that caucus talk is having an effect, we have a Patreon page where you can uh, support our work. Uh, financially we have, I don't know, over close to a dozen supporters up there. And I have just returned last month to the U.S. with a few goodies for our (laughs) Patreon supporters. (laughs) So those will get to you in the mail sometime before 2021. You heard it here first. So patreon.com slash caucus talk. Of course, leave us reviews um, on iTunes. We appreciate those a lot.
0: I would love to get a link. In this, the show notes, Eli to uh, Doctor, uh, what is his name's? Uh, his Circassian lessons. Uh, Doctor Hamid. Doctor Hamid's uh, free Circassian lessons as well. So he sent me a. Uh, if we can somehow link Eli, he sent me an application to get into the class. But yeah, anybody interested at any level in taking the language, that'd be great to make available as well.
1: Excellent. Well, listeners, thank you, and we will see you when you get here.